and welcome to welcome, welcome to worship. All right, welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Forum Church. It's good to see all of you on a brisk, blustery sort of day. I suppose fall has finally arrived. Uh, we knew it had to come eventually. Um, time for the pumpkin spice, I suppose. Right. Uh, it's good to see you. My name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us, um, if you're visiting with us, if you're new, if we haven't seen you in a while, welcome. Glad that you could be with us, whether that's in person or online. When we gather as a church, we do so in a number of different formats, both live in person, live online, and after the fact with a recording. So however you're worshiping with us today, uh, we pray God's Spirit would greet you and find you, and the good news of Jesus would too. As we get started, there's a couple things I want to highlight for you about announcements, important things happening in the life of our church. The first is that youth group, high school youth group is up and running, and we're really excited about some things that are happening this fall on Sunday evenings and on Sunday mornings, alternating weeks. They're doing breakfast one Sunday, and they're doing a Sunday evening study on the alternate weeks. Um, and we have a team of wonderful uh, volunteer leaders who have taken this on, and they have something that they would like to invite all of us into, which is a, a program, not a program, but an opportunity they're calling Prayer Partners. And this is a way for us as a congregation to put ourselves forward to be mentors and faith friends for our high school uh, young adults and students. And so Ruth Banstra, you want to give a wave there, Ruth? Ruth, after the service, will be available with a sign-up, coaxing, encouraging, cajoling, pleading with you to join us in this endeavor because you all have lots of wisdom to be able to offer, but also so do they for you. And so we want to try to find ways to, to do this together as a congregation, to care for one another, young and old. Um, so if you want to know more, please talk to Ruth after the service and sign up. Uh, one final note, we'll, we will make the list of uh, adults, right? And then the students will have a chance to pick. So it's just like dodgeball, right? So just remember what all of that was like. Maybe that just dissuaded you. I, never mind, don't think about dodgeball. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, let me look at my list here. Uh, another thing I wanted to highlight is that uh, midweek, our midweek um, learning and discipleship and growth opportunity uh, is happening every other Wednesday night. That is coming around this Wednesday. Uh, it's 6.15, 6.30 p.m. There's something for all ages, including an adult study with Mr. John Vriesma. Uh, who will be walking us through his own personal photo collection of tours in Israel and Palestine. So please do come and join us for that uh, at 6.30 uh, downstairs. Um, also, Gems and Cadets and Middle School Youth Group are happening that night. Finally, I want to let you know, yesterday we hosted our first uh, inaugural um, faith-informing lecture series here um, in this sanctuary, and we were greeted uh, with, a, with a guest, Dr. Suzanne McDonald, who was with us um, in spirit uh, and embodied, but not in the flesh, because though, uh, though she tried valiantly, she got stuck in airline purgatory and wound up in Philadelphia, and so she came to us live from a hotel room in Philadelphia, and uh, that would not be possible if it were not for many capable, technologically inclined people who could help make some very quick last-minute pivots, and for Dr. McDonald, who was willing to exert the energy it takes to do that from a hotel room in a strange city. Um, and so we're grateful for the chance to, to have done that together. Uh, 
but I want to tell you for a moment why we picked dementia first, right? Because I know for some of us, you think, well, you start this lecture series, you make a big public thing, why would you talk about that of all things? Well, let me tell you why. Because as a congregation post-pandemic, we are trying to find ways to connect and reconnect to each other in our community. Post-pandemic, we're paying attention to the aspects and the areas of our town and our church that have been most affected by some of these changes. And we were thinking about this population in particular who have experienced some of the worst of social isolation. Right? So that's why we did this first, because this is an issue that doesn't just affect our congregation, but also our town. And so we said, we're going to do that first. And Dr. McDonald was willing. Uh, she's also a good friend of mine. In terms of follow-up, wanted to let you know one of the things we'll be doing in the new year is creating a reading group to go through this memoir called London Street, which was written by a, a professor from Calvin University about what it was like to grow up in the Christian Reformed Church mid-century, last century. We'll be doing this as, as a way to hopefully engage ourselves around some of, some of these stories as well. So please look to that in the future. Finally, it's good I wrote it all down today, right? Um, the other thing I want to mention is we have the next faith-informing lecture already set up for you for Friday evening, November 4th with uh, Reverend Justin Ruddy, who is a church planter and pastor in East Boston. And that lecture, uh, the first one, we focus on some of our, our elderly populations and their vulnerability. The second lecture, we are talking about spiritual deconstruction, which is a phenomenon that most of our young adults and younger folks are experiencing. Uh, to translate it, why, why are people my age and younger not involved in church? Why is it that there's this phenomenon for all of these folks that they look around and many of their colleagues and friends are all kind of deconstructing their lives and trying to figure out who they are and trying to put the pieces back together again? Justin is a church planner. He works with uh, some of these folks often. He's going to come and talk to us about spiritual deconstruction and what Christianity might have to offer to put, put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? So that, that's the second conversation we're going to be having having. That's November 4th, Friday night. We'll have more information for you coming about that. You made it. Whew. Okay, last thing. Dr. McDonald, who I mentioned, is actually also with us today. Uh, she was willing to join us for also church this morning, uh, except she's not here, right? She was able to make it back to Holland, Michigan, uh, and so she will be joining us uh, live from her professor's office to preach to us this morning. And again, I want to thank a number of people who worked very hard to make this uh, possible for her to be with us online. Dr. McDonald, you're out there. In fact, if you guys want to give a quick wave, she can see us. We'll see her a little bit later, later on there. Um, but we're grateful for you being willing to, to join us for worship this morning. After worship, we have one further uh, opportunity to talk with her for an adult study on creation care. So please do grab some sandwiches and some salad and then join us back in here at 11 o'clock for a further conversation. Whew. All right. Now that I've just totally filled your mind, would you stand uh, in body or in spirit and join us as we begin our worship together? Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Friends, the Lord is with you. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord is God. He is he made us, and we are his. We are his people, sheep of his 
enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Come, friends, let's worship God, worship the King. Friends, when we are lost, all is not lost. God is seeking us ready to turn our lives around, gathering us into the people of God. Let us rejoice in God's mercy. I now invite the deacons to come up for the offering. Good morning. My name is Sue Cooper. I'm an elder here at uh, this church, and um, it's my privilege to lead us in congregational prayer. Will you pray with me? Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout the generations. Before the mountains were born, where you brought forth the whole world, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Heavenly Father, you are our rock and fortress, a stronghold in times of trouble, and nothing can separate us from your steadfast love. Thank you. Thank you for the many ways you have blessed this church community over the generations. 
Thank you for how you have provided for us even this weekend. Though flights were canceled and storms were swirling, we were able to hear Dr. McDonald's life-giving words about caring for those with dementia. We rejoice with the families of Brittany and Doug who were married yesterday. Bless this marriage and that it will be a testament to your faithfulness. Thank you for providing middle school and high school youth leaders ready to invest into the lives of our youth. Bless the meetings that will happen this week. Thank you, Lord, for the work Jonathan is doing with our college and post-college adults. We pray your blessing on these gatherings. Father, we ask that you will call new elders and deacons to be ready and willing to serve our church and community. Equip new leaders for us. We pray also for the upcoming classes meeting this week. Guide the discussions and the decisions of this group. Father, many in our community are struggling with health issues. We pray for strength and healing for Judy B., Karen S., Cindy H., Nellie D., Bernie W., and Carol L. We pray for peace and healing for those who struggle with mental health issues and for their families who walk that journey with them. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we pray for that comfort for the Williams family and all who mourn the passing of loved ones, both recent and past. Father, our world belongs to you, but we see so much brokenness and strife, persecution and war. We pray for your peace over this troubled planet. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This morning, bless Dr. McDonald as she brings your word to us. Thank you for technology that can connect us, though there are many miles between us. May your deeds be shown to your servants and your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Dr. McDonald has chosen a parable very familiar to many of us. Um, one involves a jealous son and one involves a prodigal son. Prodigal is a name that we don't hear very often in our common language, so I'd like to share with you a synonym of what the adjective means. It means a spendthrift. It means one who does wasteful expenditures, or even further, given to reckless extravagance. And that is our topic today from uh, the parable Jesus taught us in Luke 15. If you wish to follow along on the screen, we'll read part of uh, verses 1 and 3, and then the parable Jesus introduces in verses 11 through the end of the chapter. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, 
give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We saw the word squander in our morning prayer, um, which means to spend lavishly. And here it is repeated in Scripture. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the robe and put it on them. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate, and meanwhile the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has come back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf of him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everyone. Have I got this right? Are we good to go? 
splendid. It is a joy to be with you today, even though it is not in the way that we all expected and hoped. I am so very thankful to the tech team for enabling me uh, to still join you in this way. So thank you, thank you, friends. Uh, before I share some thoughts with you about our scripture text for this morning, I bring you greetings from Western Theological Seminary here in Holland, Michigan, where I am. I am in my office right now and also Fellowship Reformed Church in Holland, where I worship. And uh, also from someone I think that many of you will know, warmest greetings from Deb Wood. I was preaching at my former home church in Grand Rapids, Michigan last month, and Deb came up to me and she said that she knew I would be with you this weekend because she'd seen it in the bulletin. And she told me that this had been her church home for over 10 years. So it is a small world, friends. Like I say, warmest greetings from Deb. As we turn to reflecting on our scripture reading for this morning, probably a very familiar one to many of you, let's pray. Living and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Where is home for you, I wonder? And what makes home feel like home for you? That's a really interesting question for me, as you can probably tell from my accent. Is it Australia, where I was born and brought up? Is it the UK, where I lived for about 10 years? Is it here in the US, where I've lived now for 15 years, although it might not sound like it? And what does it mean when we say that we feel at home somewhere or that we don't feel at home? Is home a place or is it more about relationships or is it all of these things? And what about when you are technically at home, but you wish you could be anywhere else? This is a parable that can get us thinking about questions like that. What makes home home and what it feels like to leave home and come back home? And what it means to feel far from home, even when you are at home. Jesus is telling this parable to some people who feel very much at home with God and who are also very sure about who should not be at home with God. At the start of our reading, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are grumbling about Jesus because he has this habit of welcoming and eating with tax collectors and sinners. There was often a rivalry between the local teachers of the law, sometimes called the scribes, by the way, in other translations of the Bible. So there's this rivalry very often between those local teachers of the law and the Pharisees, but they were both united in despising sinners and also in despising Jesus for hanging out with them. If Jesus were a truly good man, he would not be at home with sinners or they with him. They were probably also united in seeing themselves as the ones who are most at home with God, the righteous ones, the most truly obedient and faithful to him. And so they assume they are the ones that God loves and cares about the most, unlike those sinners. And so Jesus tells them some parables. Ours is actually the third in a sequence. First, Jesus tells them the parable of the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. 
And in both of those, Jesus is driving home to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that God's heart yearns for those who have gone astray like the lost sheep, for them to be brought home and for those who are lost to be found like the lost coin was. And so in both of the parables that come before this one, Jesus emphasizes the great rejoicing in heaven over the lost one who is found. And then he tells this parable of the prodigal, which is another story about exactly that. And also what it means to leave home and to come home. As some of us might already know, when that younger son says to his father at the start of this story, what he's saying there is basically drop dead to his father. The son demanding his inheritance in that way is kind of the equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead and I want to live as if you were. He wants out, right? He wants to leave home and live his own kind of life in his own kind of way. And almost as soon as he's received the inheritance, he's gone. The kind of life he was so eager to live, away from his physical home, away from home as a set of relationships, and as we'll see in a moment, away from the spiritual home of his faith, that kind of life was what I guess he saw as freedom. But it ends up leaving him destitute and it all but destroys him. I don't know you all, so I don't know if there are elements of his story in your story or in the stories of people that you dearly love. For at least some of you, though, I suspect that there will be. And thank God, there is all sorts of hope in this parable for every kind of prodigal son and daughter and every kind of parent who loves them and longs for them to return home. To the Jews of Jesus's day, though, this younger son is close to the ultimate sinner, sort of uppercase S and exclamation point. He has smashed the fifth commandment in pieces. So far from honouring his father, he despises him and wishes he were dead. And he squanders that word again. He squanders everything he was given on wild living, as our text puts it. And he has abandoned not just his father and his home, but also, it would seem, his faith. You see, he's gone into Gentile territory, a country where people keep pigs, which Jews were not permitted to do. And he ends up in the ultimate defilement for any Jew looking after and living with the pigs. For the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what happened to that younger son would have been exactly what he deserved. I suspect that if they had been telling this parable, this is where they would have stopped. See, look what happens to commandment breaking, faith-abandoning, wicked sinners. They end up destitute and defiled, abandoned by human beings and by God. But this dissolute, destitute and defiled younger son is exactly the kind of person that God's heart yearns after. The previous two parables that Jesus told made that clear enough, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And that is what the younger son goes on to do. Well, sort of, because it seems like there's more pragmatism than deep repentance in the story, to be honest. The younger son just realises he'd be better off back home, even if only as a servant. But it's enough. 
He turns aside from the life he's been living and he sets off for home, even though he expects that it probably will not feel like home anymore, not like it used to be. While the younger son is on his way home, so to speak, let's reflect a little bit on the father to whom he's returning. From the beginning of this parable, the father's behavior will have struck the Pharisees and the teachers of the law as very, very strange. When the younger son asked him for his inheritance, the father could, and in their minds probably should, have punished him. He could have even had him killed, right? The law offered provision for parents to have children who deeply dishonor them put to death. But instead, the father gives the son what he asks for. I suspect that for many of the religious people, hearing this parable for the very first time, the father would have come across as too loving, too weak, too indulgent. What we see in effect is that in his love for his son, the father is willing to empty himself. He not only gives away his money, he sets aside his own honor. He diminishes himself for his son in every way. And he sets the son free to live the life he has chosen with all of its consequences. But he does not cease to love, to yearn, to long for the son to come home, and he doesn't cease to look out for him. Parents among you, you know how this is, don't you? Lying awake late into the night, straining to hear the door open, to know that your teenager has come home safely. Waiting for the next email or text or phone call when your children, no matter how old they are, are a long way from home. And all of that's the case, even when everything is just fine for your children and your relationship with your children. How much more so when the situation is something like that of the father in this parable, where things have gone horribly off the rails in any number of ways. And the instant, the instant he sees his son on the road that leads to home, the father runs. And once again, the father's love means he does something totally contrary to the expectations of his culture. Here is an older man hitching up his robes and running full pelt down the road in the sight of anyone who happened to be there. It's a disgrace, right? It's dishonoring. It's degrading. And it's all for that wastrel, that wicked sinner of a younger son. But love, overriding everything else, love. He doesn't even let the younger son get to the end of his very carefully planned and rehearsed speech. No, out comes the best robe, the finest ring, the fatted calf is killed, the music strikes up, and there's a feast overflowing with joy because the one who was dead has come back to life. The one who was lost has been found. And then finally, there's the elder brother. The one who has stayed home all along, stayed in the house with his father, stayed obedient to his father and to his faith and to his calling in life. The one who has always tried to do his duty, to do the right thing in every way. And the one who, it turns out, has wandered just as far from home as the younger brother who ran off to his wild and dissolute life. Because in this parable, it turns out, 
Home is not so much a place as it is a relationship. At the heart of what it means to be at home is to truly know and experience the father's love. Does the older son join the party eventually? Is he ever reconciled to his father and his younger brother? Does he ever go home again? We don't know. We can only hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring him home too because he needs the Spirit to lead him home to the love of his father as much as ever the younger son did. So who do you most identify with in this parable, I wonder? The younger son, the rebel, the one who ran away from home and only when everything went horribly wrong did he reassess his life and head home again. The father, the one who loves and loves and loves in spite of all the hurt and all the shame and who waits and waits and waits and overflows with uncontainable love when the ungrateful wretch comes home again. The older brother who does all the right things and wants to hoard all the love and all the benefits of home for himself and who wants to decide for himself who deserves a place at home and who doesn't and who wants to decide on God's behalf who deserves God's love and who doesn't. I suspect that all of us have seen ourselves in all three of them at various times. But I think at this point, it's helpful to remind ourselves again of the framework for this parable, because the older brother's attitude here is exactly that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at the very start, which is exactly the reason why Jesus is telling these parables in the first place. Remember, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they despise and resent Jesus for welcoming sinners and feasting with them. They see themselves as the righteous ones, deserving of God's love far more than those sinners because they have done all the right things and made all the sacrifices to live obedient, faithful lives, just like the older son here. And this is why they need to hear over and over again in three parables in a row about the deep rejoicing in heaven over the lost ones who are found and who come home. And this is why many of us need to hear this parable too, I suspect. Jesus is telling this parable to all of us dutiful religious types who no matter how much we say, we believe in salvation by grace and how much we need grace, we still think that somehow maybe we deserve God's love even just a little bit and we can earn it by what we do. And we can still somehow end up thinking that the love of God is somehow so limited that if he gives some away to someone else, especially someone we don't think deserves it as much as us, well, that must mean there will somehow be less love left for us. But folks, that is not how this works. It truly is, as the father in the parable says, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. We know that all that God has is already ours now and for all eternity. 
Like Paul says in Romans 8.32, our loving heavenly father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How then will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So, back to the question I opened with. Where is home for you? Part of the point of this parable, I think, is to remind us that wherever our lives lead us, whatever our circumstances, to be at home means, above all, being able to rest in the freely given, overflowing love of God. And we can rest assured that the Father has more than enough love for us and for anyone and everyone else he chooses to welcome home to himself. And so the plea of this parable to every single one of us is, come home. Because whether we are more like the younger brother or the older brother, we all need to return home to the Father's love. Whether we've been on a quest to find our ultimate fulfillment somewhere other than the assurance of God's love for us, or whether it's the resentment and the anger and the entitlement of thinking that who we are and what we do means we deserve God's love more than others, both of those paths are utterly exhausting. And both of those paths take us such a long way from home. Come home, friends, rest and rejoice in the Father's love. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, whether we deliberately run away or whether we just wander off and hardly even realise how far from home we are, turn us around, lead us home. Help us to see the Father arms wide running to embrace us and help us to rejoice when he runs to embrace others too. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, who stretched his arms wide on the cross to enable all of us to come home. Amen. So at this time, I'd like to invite our ECHO students to come up. We just get our echo prayer up on the screen. So people of God, <clears throat> almighty and loving God, thank you for the gift of your word. We got two more. Now go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Now, friends, if you would just rise as we continue with our worship. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. 
As those who are being found in the Lord Jesus Christ, would you join me in the family prayer that he taught us to pray? Together we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. One of the most wonderful twists on the theme of home that Jesus gives us is the fact that now, through his death and resurrection by his spirit, wherever we walk in this life, we are home, for he has come to dwell with us. And he will not leave or forsake you, he will not change his mind. So friends, would you lift up your eyes, open your hands, and receive God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
go now to love and serve Jesus Christ.